I have a message that the Lord really laid on my heart as I was praying. And um, earlier this week, really earlier during the time of fasting and prayer, I had felt uh, something different to share this morning, um, kind of planning out and projecting how this time was going to unfold. Um, but the Lord really changed my message. And I want to share with you today about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb. Now, I'm going to tell you, um, in all my years um, in church, listening to messages, I, I confess I have never heard a message specifically about the blood of Jesus. I've heard messages that mention the blood of Jesus, but I've never heard a message that specifically talks about the blood of Jesus. And as I got into the message, and I was, I was studying and reading and pondering and praying, um, it, it struck me just how vast, what a big theme this is. And so I want to share some things, and I want you to bear with me, because there's some scriptures that, that are longer passages, and there, there's some pa passages that are shorter but they're kind of one right after the other. So some of the passages we're going to have up on the screen, but others I'm just going to read. So I beg your patience as, as we listen to the word of God. Now, the first thing that I want to bring up, I want to read from Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 21. Exodus 12, 21 through 27. And this is the word of the Lord. It says, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go. And select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt, and he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worship. Let's do that right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you've given us your word, not that we would remain the same after receiving it. God, we would be impacted and transformed, and your mind would be imparted to us to think differently, to understand differently, to see things clearly your way. God, we ask that you do that in us today as we study the blood of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, this passage is extraordinarily powerful and foundational for our understanding of ourselves as believers in the Lord Jesus. And something hit me as I was studying it that um, 
I can't say that I didn't know it before, but it just hit me in a whole new way. This passage about the sacrifice of the Passover lamb is given as a statute, is given as a, it, it even says as a service to Israel before the priesthood was established. So before the Levites were set apart as the priestly tribe, and before out of the Levites, Aaron and his sons were ordained as as the high priests in Israel, and through them the service of blood sacrifice given to Israel for atonement for sin and for uh, peace offerings and grain offerings, all the different things that, that make up mostly the book of Leviticus that are the core of religious life in the sanctuary and in the temple all throughout the Old Testament and even into the time of Jesus. Before any of that was established, this was established. This was given. This is the most primal story of redemption that the Jews in Jesus' time had. Even as Moses is teaching this truth, He's telling them how to pass it on to their children. I mean, look, they haven't even done it yet. He's just giving them, he's just giving them the recipe. He's just giving them the plan. He's just telling them what to do. And man, the words aren't even out of their mouth. The elders haven't even gotten a chance to respond. They do respond. It says they bow down and worship. But before they could even do that, Moses is saying, oh, and by the way, you're supposed to do this perpetually. And when your children are like, what are we doing this for? He even tells them what to say back. That's how primal this is. This story of the shedding of the blood of the Passover lamb is woven into the very DNA of the identity of the Hebrew people. It's part of who they are. Now, why am I emphasizing that so much? I'm emphasizing that so we can understand, as we go into the rest of what I'm going to share, we can understand the gap between where we are and where Jesus' disciples were and the original Christians and the original hearers and receivers of, of those writings that we call the New Testament. Because every time these things are touched upon either directly or even indirectly. Not nuanced, like, like frontal attack, or even subtly. The Jews picked it up because they had antenna to understand and hear this stuff. It's, it's like if I just say 1776, that's going to ring bells for every American. But if I say 1776 in Saudi Arabia, most of the people are going to shrug. Are you, are you following? Are you, are you tracking with me on that? So this stuff, just like 1776, that's oh, Independence Day, that's freedom, that's, that's liberation, that's, we get that, we're Americans. It's in our DNA. It's how we think. This is the July 4th passage. This is the Declaration of Independence for the, for the Hebrews, but far, far deeper. Our country is, is about two and a half centuries old. By the time this came to the story of Jesus, this had been 
deeply ingrained in the Hebrew people for six times as long. Over a thousand years they have been practicing this. So it's deeply, deeply ingrained. And so by the time Jesus comes, the people are ripe for fulfillment. All this stuff is set up in their, in their groupthink, in their internal consciousness. So that's something that we have to recognize as we're going into these following texts. So the first point is the Passover. Understand how deeply ingrained it is. it is. It is before the law. It is before the priesthood. It is before the establishment of the Old Covenant itself. This, this sacrifice, this freedom, this liberation, this protection and salvation from destruction. The second point I want to bring up is the Last Supper is the hinge, it's the Passover meal that links the old with the new. In this, Jesus declares his own blood to be the blood of the new covenant. Now we're so used to hearing that when we we take communion, that we can, we, we can be deaf to it. Especially because we don't have this, this groundwork of the Passover operating in our hearts. But the disciples had it in their hearts. Now listen, this is Mark chapter 14, and I'm going to read two verses. And they're going to skip verses 12, then verse 24. Verse 12 says, On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, ding, 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 ding. Get it? That should be going off in your head. Most of the time it isn't, because we're not first century Jews. It says, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? This is the gospel telling us, point blank, that when Jesus sat down at what we call the Last Supper, on the night he was betrayed, he was eating the Passover with his disciples. That's what he was doing. It says it. Right here. Now verse 24. It says, and he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. This isn't a hint. This isn't a clue. This isn't a nuance. This isn't a hidden meaning. This is point blank mother load of spiritual gold right on the surface screaming at us that Jesus is identifying himself as the fulfillment. He's saying this blood is my blood. He's telling it to them. That's what we, that's what we partake of when we take the Lord's Supper that we're going to share at the, end of this, at the end of this service. This these exact words are also mentioned in the, in the Gospel of Luke, and they're mentioned in 1 Corinthians, where Jesus, there's, there's four different witnesses where Jesus calls his blood, calls the, the service of the Lord's Supper his blood that we partake of, and says this is the new covenant. Now, the New, the new Testament has around 40 references to the blood of Jesus Christ. I myself was stunned, and I've been studying the New Testament for years at, at the highest levels where I'm teaching other people, I'm teaching the teachers of the teachers, and I couldn't believe how many times it's, it's mentioned. The blood of Christ directly mentioned 
about 40 times. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this practical for us, right where we live, what that means. Just the sheer volume, the amount that the New Testament costs, talks about the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the human tendency. It is our tendency to want to shy away from that. Because blood is blood. It's dark. It's messy. It indicates suffering and pain. It indicates death. And in this case, it's even worse because it's the death of an innocent man on behalf of the guilty. It's painful. And the tendency is, the desire is, in the way we practice our religion, to clean it up. There's a paradox, and this is why I'm preaching this, this is why it was laid on my heart so strongly. There's power in Christianity, but the power of Christianity is in the blood. That's where the power's at. That's where the power is. Now, here's the thing. We want power, but we don't want pain. We want power. Everybody's down with power, but people aren't down with suffering. They aren't down with stuff that's messy and dark and sticky. They don't want that. So they come up with a form of Christianity that Paul says, a form of godliness, but denying the what? The power. How are they denying the power? They're denying the blood. Now, if you talk to them face-to-face, they don't say that. They don't, oh, no, I'm not denying the blood. But their actions are screaming otherwise. They've come up with a gospel that's all about the power in their hands. It's neat. It's clean. It's all got, it's, it's, there's no messiness to it. There's no suffering to it. There's no difficulty to it. It's all about us being on top of the world all the time. And the services, my goodness. You go to the church, you might as well be going to a spa. I mean, it's not, there's there's nothing. Listen. The power of serving Jesus is in the paradox we kneel before a crucified Messiah who rose from the dead. Right? Resurrection is more powerful than never having died in the first place. We're all about that, but we don't want to face the fact that there was death involved. So we want to duck that. But I'm trying to tell you this morning, embrace Embrace it. Embrace that he suffered. Embrace that he bled. Embrace that he poured it all out. Embrace that kind of Jesus, that kind of Christianity. Paul says, hey, if somebody says the Corinthians, if somebody comes and preaches to you another kind of Jesus that you didn't ever hear of before, you accept it quickly enough. You accept it quickly enough. I've been teaching theology for years. And I can tell you by experience, I can tell you by experience, face to face, these are people who, who are signed up, they're training for ministry, 
their pastor signed off on them being in, in a college of ministry and a theology pursuit where they're seeking the things of God and they're planning on, on being ministers. And I want to tell you, I can, I can challenge, I could challenge people right here, I could challenge you on fundamentals of the faith that if you give them away, you just gave away the farm. But if I go and tell you, hey, Jesus wasn't really a carpenter, he was probably more like a builder. Oh, my goodness, you're ready to vote me out? Get rid of me. That's a sacred cow. Don't talk about it. My point is, is we, we very, very often major on the minors. And we, we, we give things away for, for that which is trivial. This is the center. This is very in your face. There's, there's nothing neat or tidy or clean about true power Christianity. It's about us, it's about, it's about Jesus in his suffering, in his difficulty, risen from the dead and glorious. That's where the power is. It's in the blood. And we'll talk about his resurrection here really quick. <clears throat> so what was Jesus meaning? Just to take any doubt out of it, Jesus was saying that he's the lamb. This is John 1.29. It says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. This is John the baptizer. And said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, following these words, Jesus is identified as the Lamb at least 34 times in the New Testament. He is the fulfillment of what we call a type and a shadow. That passage in Exodus 12, it's full of types and shadows. Jesus is the fulfillment of the, look, the details of that are amazing. What happens if you take a door, a doorway, and you put blood on either side here, and then you put blood at the top? What happens to the blood at the top? It drips down, touches the ground, and what do you have? The sign of the cross. Down to the finest detail, Jesus is the fulfillment of that type and that shadow. That means everything that's in the Passover is ours in Jesus. It's not that the Hebrews had something better than us or they had an edge over us because this, you just, you say, man, I just wish that, can you imagine what it would have been like to be there at that time? To be at that sort of petrifying, frightening, but exhilarating moment when the destroyer passes by and you're safe, the children are saved, you're safe inside, and then comes the hue and cry of the Egyptians and they say, take our money, take everything, just get out, and you're free. You see, you see, it has happened. It has happened. It is ours. It's ours in a way it was never theirs. Because theirs was a type. It was a shadow. Ours is the reality, the eternal reality in Jesus. Now let me read what I consider to be the definitive prophecy about Jesus as lamb. This is Isaiah chapter 52, end of 52 and into 53. This is a longer passage, and I want you to bear with me. It says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. 
as many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Jesus flayed by the beating that he took. His body contorted beyond human resemblance. His arms pulled out of their sockets. His belly distended. His limbs pierced. It says, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which has, they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of pain and acquainted with sickness. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our sickness and carried our pains, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. This passage, Isaiah 53 is a central passage in our New Testament understanding of who Jesus is. This and Psalm 110 are the most quoted messianic prophecies about Jesus. This passage is directly quoted, directly quoted by Matthew, Luke, John, Peter, and Paul in reference to Jesus. And it's alluded to by all the others. This is ground zero for Jesus as lamb reaching critical mass. Now why? Why is it? Because, listen closely, this is, this is very, very powerful. In this passage, the prophet, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, combines the blood offering of the Passover lamb and the blood offering that comes later in the Day of Atonement. Those are two different sacrifices, but in Jesus, they come together. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. He is the Lamb. And His death flat out redeems us from everything that was brought on by the fall. You ever think Adam and Eve, before they bit the apple, you think they got sick? We all know that they didn't. We all know that they didn't. But this passage is filled with Jesus taking on our sin and our sickness both. 
If you have any doubt about that, read Matthew chapter 8, which interprets it and says, when Jesus was healing everybody, this was to fulfill. They bore our sicknesses and carried our pains. It's an unbelievably powerful passage. Now, here's the thing. The result of this, it says, the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. We have a very narrow understanding of that word peace. For us, peace just means sort of tranquility of mind or emotional rest. But peace in Hebrew means comprehensive well-being. The word, you know, is shalom. And that word means top-to-bottom integrated well-being. That God wants you completely well. That's his perfect will. That's his perfect desire. Now, he may use difficulties and weaknesses in our life, but he doesn't take any delight in them. He wants us well. He wants us whole. And the chastisement that was necessary to bring us shalom was on him. He paid it. He paid it. wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Old-time Pentecostals used to plead the blood of Jesus, just like I did at the beginning of the service. We plead the blood of Jesus. Jesus, we plead the blood. We plead the blood. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to plead the blood? If I already know Jesus, I'm already... I'm already redeemed. The blood already applies to my life. Why am I pleading the blood? What we're pleading is we're laying claim to the promise and the benefits that are found in the blood of Jesus. That's what we're pleading. We're saying, God, we call on the power in the blood of Jesus. Enough with sterile, neat as a pin, no wrinkles Christianity. This arid, empty, powerless evangelicalism that doesn't get anybody healed, doesn't convict anybody of sin, doesn't challenge anybody at the level of where they live, doesn't, doesn't break any strongholds. Just people walking in and out, punching their card, going to church, hoping to be 51% good so that when they stand before God, he lets them in. That's not why Jesus died. Jesus died for a whole lot more, to give you a whole lot more than that. We go through some areas where there's power in the blood. Let me read you some scriptures. Number one, there's ransom. Ransom. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 19. You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You know what's powerful is there are different verbs that are used throughout the New Testament to describe ransom, redemption, purchase. At least three different verbs are used to try to cover all the blessing that the blood of Jesus Christ is for us. We were ransomed 
from the feudal ways inherited from our forefathers. I just want to ask a question here. Um, Would anybody who didn't come from a dysfunctional family just go ahead and stand up? I mean, is everybody, I mean, like your family was just, man, you had it down. I mean, there was no dysfunction. You don't even know what people are talking about when they talk that way. I mean, I'm surely the feudal ways of our forefathers. I want to tell you, last night, in the dark of night, I was awake and I was praying. I was praying. About one month into a fast. And I was praying. I wish that I could say I was praying for all of you. I prayed for all of you yesterday afternoon. Last night I was praying for myself. As I prayed and wrestled with things in my own heart, God was bringing things to me. wounds in my heart I don't think it's too strong even to say strongholds he brought up before me as I was pleading with him, begging him pleading the blood of Jesus out of nowhere all this stuff in my youth came up my parents divorced, the shadowing of my family the betrayal, the abandonment all that stuff coming up before me. God showing me the source of some of the patterns, some of the toxic patterns that I lived by. Is it okay if the pastor just is a little bit human for a second? The blood of Jesus Christ is strong enough to redeem us even from that. The blood of Jesus Christ. You know what this word is here? This verb? The Greek Greek verb here could be translated to manumit. Manumit means to set a slave free. To To set a slave free. I read a story one time about a young slave girl on a plantation in the South before the Civil War. And this girl was so beautiful that she was such a distraction to the young men. It was a large plantation. She was such a distraction to the young men. And I'm not talking about the young slave men. I'm talking about the young white men, owners, the elite. She was such a distraction that all the young women on the plantation said, we got to get rid of her. She's competition that we can't put up with. So they carted her off to the market. And they stripped her. They put her on the block. For sale. Showed. What a beauty she was. 
the two men started to bid. Thing is, one was an evil man with evil intent, and the other was a good man. And the bidding went up and up and up, and the evil man ran out of money. So he turned to the other man, and he said, this is a true story. He turned to the other man, and he said, what are you going to do with her? He said, it's none of your business. You ain't got the money to buy her anyway. And the good man bought her. He bought her. He restored her dignity. He walked up to her and he said, Eliza, you're free from now on. He set her free. That's who Jesus was for us. The devil, he wanted us. But he couldn't beat the price that Jesus paid. The blood of Jesus Christ bought you and bought me free and clear. The next passage, Revelation 5.9, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You know, that verb is a different verb. That verb is the Greek verb agorazo. It's the verbal form of the word agora. The agora in the ancient world was the marketplace. This verb says he came along and he literally marketed you. He bought you out of the marketplace. He purchased you with his blood. That was your cost. Nothing less would redeem you. So that's what he paid. His own life. Not only is it ransom, the blood of Jesus, it's cleansing and forgiveness. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption, that's that same word again, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. You are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you didn't get it before, I hope you got it now. Because when the auctioneer said, sold to the highest bidder, sold right there, sold to that man right there, your sins were forgiven. Your sins were forgiven. Your sins were washed away. He bought you into the realm of mercy itself. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? When you feel guilty, when you've blown it, and you feel alienated from God, you feel separated. You're like, how can I get back to him? I've blown it so bad. Plead the blood. Plead the blood. Plead the blood. When you can't even lift your face for shame. When you can't even lift your voice above a whisper. Whisper the blood. The blood cleanses your conscience from acts that lead to death. So that you might serve the living God and be restored in his presence, restored to confidence, restored to lift your face and have an open heaven again. The blood of Jesus Christ. One of the great passages, Revelation 7, 14, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. We make our robes white in the blood, 
His blood doesn't stain us. His blood cleanses from stains. There's deliverance in the blood. Revelation 1, 5, and 6. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom and priests to his God and Father. He took us from a place of absolute slavery and bondage and he broke the shackles from us. This is the, this is the thing. This is why you have to understand redemption in terms of forgiveness and forgiveness in terms of redemption. Because he's brought you into a permanent state. He's translated you from one place to another. He didn't just wipe off your sins like it's a chalkboard. He changed the whole thing. He broke the power of sin off of your life. So sin doesn't have a claim on you anymore. I remember being in a service when I was a young man with the great missionary evangelist T.L. Osborne. And he talked about forgiveness this way. The Christian who properly understands that forgiveness could walk into the pit of hell itself in the midst of the devil and all his demons and say, you can't touch me. You don't have anything on me. I am free. I belong to another. I've been set free. That's not just, that's not just cleaned off for a moment. You got clean running in your veins. It's a different thing. Reconciliation. First to God and then to each other. Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. You were alienated. You were separated. Now you've been drawn in close. Colossians 1.20 says, that God through Christ reconciles all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That peace is to be translated harmony. It's relational peace. Again, it's not just, it's not just having tranquility in our hearts. It's relational peace. God mends by his blood. He mends those relational wounds. He's big enough to do that. That's why we have to call on Jesus and we have to call on his blood. That's why I'm so fierce about having, having a faith that's grounded in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ because it's the only thing that can reconcile us to each other. Right? We, can, we can come to church, we can have religion without it, but we can't have unity without it. We can't have unity that the Holy Spirit can use to flow. Resurrection life. This is so powerful. So powerful to me. John 6.54 says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Whoever feeds... Now let me ask you a question. Got a little quiz here. My professor side come out here. Do the Jews have a thing about drinking blood? Were they good with that? 
they were not good with it. Why were they not good with it? Well, because the law says, whatever you do, don't eat the blood. They had a special way of, of, of slaughtering their animals to make sure no blood remained in the meat. Why? Why were they disallowed? Why were they forbidden to eat blood? Because the life is in the blood. Because the life of the animal is in the blood. Now let me show you something. This is how types and shadows work. God gives a type. He gives a shadow. Like the Passover itself is a living illustration that goes over and over again, played over and over again to teach a lesson. But what they were forbidden from doing was acting like the type and the shadow was the real thing. Because that would be jumping the gun and telling an untruth about the fulfillment. You see, the fulfillment could only come in Jesus, right? If they were to eat the blood in the meat, they would be saying the blood of a goat, the blood of a lamb, the blood of a ram, the blood of a bull can give me life. It's a fair price. The blood of this animal for my life. Because I've sinned. Because I've sinned, I'm a walking dead man. Just like God said to Adam and Eve, the day you eat of it, you'll die. We're spiritually dead in our sin. And that's why there had to be blood sacrifice. But the blood sacrifice can only go so far. The blood sacrifice is, the book of Hebrews says it's a reminder. It's an illustration, all pointing to the fulfillment. But if I actually eat the blood of an animal that's only meant to illustrate my need for Christ, then I'm embracing a lie. I'm saying that, that that's enough, that I'm good enough. So God's, God drew the line right there. Yes, sacrifice. Yes, I will count that as forgiven. Yes, that, that points. Yes, there's value of the, the priests and the, the sacrifice in the Old Testament and the blood sacrifice is commanded and everything. But he draws a line and he says, don't eat the blood because the life's in the blood, and that life isn't a fair price for your sin. But when Jesus comes, now Jesus says, drink my blood. Now he says, now drink. And they're flipping out. Why? Because they, they don't get it. They don't get that now the fulfillment is here. Are you getting it? Are you seeing now? He says, this is why now you drink. This is why we have the Lord's Supper. This is why we drink the blood of the Lord. Because the blood of the Lord, now the, now the type and the shadow is in the past. Because the reality has come. Those who receive the Lord have eternal life. When does eternal life start? It doesn't start when you die. It starts now. It starts right now. Right now. You accept Jesus? Hey, man. Have eternal. That's what Jesus said. Anyone who believes in me won't die. Like this body will be puffed away. But we won't die. Because our eternal life begins at the moment we accept Jesus and we walk in Jesus. You can have the eternal life of Jesus flowing in you right now. I'm telling you, saints, we're walking below our privileges. Hebrews 13, 20 says, May the God of peace, listen to this. This will go off like a bomb. It says, Who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. 
You know what God the Father used to raise Jesus from the dead? He used Jesus' own blood. That's how life-giving, that's how much eternal power and life is in the blood of Jesus. There's stuff in your life and mine that's dead. Hopes that you've had, dreams that you've had, relationships. You just feel like the fingerprints of death are all over them. You're like, Jesus, do a miracle, do something. Plead the blood. Because the resurrection power of Jesus is in his blood. Remember, the life is in the blood. The life of a goat is the life of a goat. But the life of the sinless son of God is the life of the sinless son of God. Pure, flowing life. Blood of Jesus. Lastly, I want to say this. Remember this passage. Every promise is yes and amen in Jesus. Anything that you saw in the past, anything you see in the Old Testament, oh man, that's so beautiful. I wonder, if only we could have that today. But you can. Every promise is yes and amen in Christ. The destroyer must pass over it. Because God has marked you with the blood. God has marked you with the blood. Psalm 105, verse 37 says that when they came out of Egypt, not a one stumbled, and they were laden with the silver and the gold of the Egyptians. What does that tell you? That tells you that he redeemed, God was about redeeming their souls, but he was was about their their well-being. He was about providing for them. He was about healing them. Right after this is, is where the name Jehovah Rapha comes to us. Moses says, if you'll, if, you'll, if you'll serve me, I won't put on you the disease I put on the Egyptians. This is the old covenant stuff. We deal with imperfect manifestation because our faith is imperfect. Because our understanding is imperfect. But that doesn't mean Jesus didn't buy it for us. He bought it for us. It's bought and paid for. We're, we're dealing, all of us. All of us have people in our heart that we long that they would see life. That they would have life. That there would be reconciliation. We have pains in our bodies. We have struggles with provision and lack. But I want to tell you, it's time for us to get Some of that old time religion. It's time for us. It's time for us to go to the cross. And recognize the source of our power. Because the source of our power isn't in eloquent words. It isn't in being clever. It isn't even in memorizing enough scripture passages. It isn't in having the perfect facility or the prettiest people. Jesus shed his blood that you might be free. That you might be whole. That you might be preserved. That you might have shalom. Comprehensive well-being. He has it for you. He wants it for you. Believe it. Believe it. If he didn't want it, he wouldn't have shed his blood.
going to invite the musicians to come. I want us just to pray and for those who help serve the Lord's Supper, prepare. Father, we praise you. Just begin to worship the Lord. Begin to thank the Lord. Jesus, we praise you. We thank you. We glorify you. God, we look to you. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your precious blood. Thank you, Jesus. God, we yield. We look to you. God, we call on you. We thank you. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Consider, saints, as we prepare to take the supper of the Lord. Consider that first Passover. And consider the second first Passover. Where Jesus identified the blood of the Lamb as his own life. The life is in the blood. You know, if you'll release your faith, taking the Lord's Supper, if you'll release your faith, like a coiled spring let go where you say, God, I receive this. I receive the body and the blood of the Lord in myself. Let the destroyer pass over. The destroyer can't touch me, can't touch my children. The destroyer can't keep me in bondage of poverty and ignorance. The destroyer can't stop me I'm redeemed I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb I'm redeemed I'm purchased I'm a slave set free 